G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. All right. So remiss of me, Mark, meet Jace. Hey, oh. Jace. And vice versa. Howdy, howdy. Hey, yo. We've talked about having I've, you uh, come on for a little while. You are uh, our first guest. I've, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to... Uh, Get get a sneak peek, and I've I've watched all your previous ones, so I've sort of got a bit of a feel for what's going on anyway. So I'm just uh, uh, finishing up the review on this toy too. Yeah, how's it going? Thermal handheld. I uh, I've I've actually uh, not that I've got the money to drop, but I've got a, a good mate of mine that's um, got a few more dollars than he needs, and he's uh, we've been using the. The Pulsar, I don't know, X, XP38 or something along those lines, handheld monocular, and that's been pretty uh, pretty interesting. Sure, um, it's a whole different ball game than uh, oh, flicking yeah. the spot around, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, we, as I said, we were away just on a hunt last weekend, and I took it down a review for Sporting Shooter, and um, first night I just went out and just, like, lit up the field and we're just going like oh, roo, pig, cow, deer. And it's pretty hard to explain. You know, it's not like you see better. You just see these things. They're just there. Yeah. They're just illuminated. They're just there. And, you know, you can go, oh, that's a, there's a little pig and there's a piglet there. And then I just spun around and thought, oh, look behind me. And there's three deer like 40 metres behind me in the dark just – Look at me. Did um did you did you get a chance? We've been noticing, like down home here in Stanthorpe, you know, there's in every crop field or every tomato field, capsicum field, there's mice everywhere, and it's so funny. You look through the thermal, and you just see a hundred little dots all across because <laughs> you can see all the mice there. No, we didn't. Where we were, we didn't see that. It was it's cattle yeah. property. But um, what I did pick up were birds and rocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The old, uh, you know, we, you always talk about. During the day, when you're scouting, you see the old pig stump and the deer stump. Yeah. Now it's with with the uh, with the thermal, it's the pig rock and the deer rock because there's a rock that's absorbed some heat during the day that's yeah. still warm. So, so we this, the last night we were there, we decided to see if we could take a pig with it with the shotgun. So we we waited and nothing appeared. So we um uh, we we went over, went for a walk and the you know, I could have taken deer at 30 yards with the under over if I wanted to. I was just every, you know, just you just there. And what we were doing, because it was a handheld, we just had a torch. So you just get real close and then just go clink, take on the torch yeah. and just illuminate them. And, you yeah. know, so if you were, yeah, if you could see that um, if you wanted to shoot at night, you would be um, highly successful. With one of those things, you'd just be wet. And then if you put it on a rifle, you wouldn't even have to move because, you know, we were using it as a handheld. 
you set a rifle mount up on a tri on, on a tripod or a set of six and just stayed there, you'd just be going bang, bang, you know, shooting all night. And that that's what um the, the fella that I go out with, he's got um he's got a, a night vision scope. So we, mm. we sort of spot with the and, and it's all like it's farms down here, it's tomato farms, it's uh, yeah. vineyards, it's it's all that. So you basically the landowner says if I catch you leaving anything alive, you won't be allowed back, you know, that usual trope. Um and um yeah, so that it's it's all in darkness. You spot them with the monocular, you can get in, like you say, really close. He sets up his sticks with his night vision and it you hear a bang and there's never been a light on and you know, it's it's um it the only thing is, because I've been doing it for a while with him, is it, it can get a bit uh, a bit fatiguing. You know, I think we all we've all been there with that experience of going spotlighting and you sort of shoot things and shoot things and shoot things and you think, you know what, I need I need a weekend out in the hills walking around with a backpack because it, you know, it's yeah. It's a, oh yeah. yeah. Well, that was it. So we we were hunting every day. We did one day. We did a big walk and a big walk out. We carried a fair bit of meat out. Cause I got myself a nice buck, but and then in the evening I would just go out just to test it. I didn't, as you said, I didn't shoot anything with it. Oh, what I thought I'd, if I could see a pig, I'll take a pig with a shotgun. But we didn't shoot anything. But yeah, if you wanted to, you 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 just literally sit there on a on a you know a camp chair and just they just don't know you're there. No, mm. yeah. Really good. I was quite stunned by the 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 the. the what it does you know it's not like you know night vision it's just it doesn't it now doesn't matter there is no vision you're just looking at a different spectrum you're just looking through a different spectrum you don't it's not yeah, it's just there it's funny what you say about it, it's hard to i've had that problem trying to explain it to mates and yeah. i said look just let me let me bring it over to your place and we'll just yeah. look in your backyard at your dogs or something you can't sort of yeah, it's it's um. Yeah, that's right. It's just, not like you just you just see, you know. That's right. People think it's it's kind of like night. No, it's not night vision. It's just like your eyes work now on a different spectrum. So darkness yeah. no longer matters because you're not seeing that anymore. You're seeing heat. So if it's hot, you see it. Yeah. Uh, so you see trees and your rocks and everything. You know, you see everything, but you you just see the heat signature in it. And the, and that's what I after about three nights, you know, I thought. You're right. You know, instead of the pig stump, you kind of go, "It's not moving. That's a rock. <laughs> that's a rock. That's a rock." Yeah. The only thing I did want to hit was I, I bumped a fox. I saw him, and then as soon as I and I, as soon as I closed the action, he just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. On and there was cattle around, so I didn't want to be spraying shots. But yeah, I would fox would have been good. But wow, I, I I was just stunned by it. The only time I would have liked wanted to see what it would be like during the day but we didn't get an opportunity is for blood trails i know in england they, that's what we used them for there you know we're looking for blood trail so tim you know we didn't we just didn't have that tim had to hit a deer and, it, and, it, and it, you know it, it didn't go down straight away so i was a bit nervous so when we stumbled onto these bucks it was, everything was perfect so you know and i got within 80 meters and i and i said I'm neck I'm necking this guy. There's not a chance we're letting this thing get away. So mm. I necked it. So it was done, you know, it was that was it. So there wasn't a chance for a blood trail, but um I would have liked to see what it's like on on blood work. One one interesting one that we've had um was I had my mate had sort of set up 
to shoot a deer. He'd gone for a neck and, and he felt it. He said he pulled it. He pulled it up a little bit and it was a, a, a clean, clean miss. Um, and I, you know, same thing, sort of had the, the monocular out, had a bit of a look, couldn't see any marks. And then I could just see this uh, spot and I thought, I'm going to go check out that spot on that tree in case it's blood. And so I walked probably, I don't know, 60 yards in there, walked up to it, and it was actually the bullet. The bullet had hit oh. the tree trunk, and the yeah. heat the heat was causing a, about a 50-cent piece mark on the – I thought wow. it was blood. But it just was a, actually friction, just, a friction mark. Yes, yeah, really. yeah. And that's it. It's, you know, it's, it's heat. So, it, like, I'd used it during the day, and it was a bush turkey across the road, and I just filmed it. And, you know – but what, you know, like, uh, if you look at a car, you know, and, I mean, that's what the coppers use them for. That's how they monitor movement. You just look at a car. If the brake rims are running hot, you know, the car's been moving top thing, you know. Mm. The wheels are, you know, four glowing Technology's light. getting dangerous, fellas. <laughs> I was going to um, – <clears throat> I was actually going to jump on the bandwagon of interesting things, not not uh, not nearly as interesting as that, but on the uh, – I guess the old bar, barn fines or, um, or or car boot sale fines. Uh, I think I can't remember if I showed you this one, Ian, but I went to a uh, a garage sale in Brisbane actually, and there was a lady that said, "Oh, we've got this little set of antlers there. You know, we only want twenty bucks for them because they're little little jiggery yeah. antlers." And uh, I went over and had a look at them. Look at that. <laughs> And they're they're little jiggery antlers, but they're hoggies, and they're um they're fifteen and a half inches. They're massive they're hoggies. The, this stonkin set of and and I said to her, I said they're actually quite big, and she went, oh, I don't care, just give me my twenty bucks and go away. And I went, all oh, right, oh, so that's that's in my collection now. Um, not not that I took them; it'd be nice if Isn't I did. But I just just the things, specimen for a hoggie. Yeah, the things, <laughs> and it's and it's mounted on some older wood, and it's a real old sort of mount, yeah. but. The, the things you find at garage sales, eh? Yeah. So. To show up, you'll find them. So that's yeah. a good, that's a good, we'll call it a good segue into um, an intro to Jace. So um, I'll just get you to talk a little bit about um, yourself, mate, for a sec. That'll put you on the spot. I know you'll love doing that. Um, uh, but obviously there's a reason for all of this stuff on the wall, um, other than just hunting it, if you're picking it up from garage sales. Um, and, of course, when I met Jace, um, he was um, probably more leaning towards the. We'll go out with the uh, the thermal monocular side, and 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 now getting into um, what hunting's all about. Just to frame it, in case you forget to mention a couple of those things, mate. But take it away, Jace. Give us five minutes on um, on your world and hunting and chasing things around. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I until until very recently, I suppose I um. I worked in traffic management and uh, had fun, you know, putting out the stop slow people that everyone hates to stop out at roadworks and stuff like that. But um, I I moved to Stanthorpe when I was 14 and sort of grew up here and went to school, met a lot of farmers, worked in a, um, a small engines and agricultural shop and met every single person in town that way just by working in the spare parts bench. Um but came to came to hunting quite late. I guess I, I sort of resonated with some of the things that had been spoken about in earlier episodes. That I, I didn't um, I didn't start hunting, you know, till I was in my early twenties, probably 22, 23, I got a gun license. But prior to that, 
I'd always been outside. Like if I could run it down and catch it, I would. I'd always love fishing, you know, catching yabbies, all that sort of stuff, like just being outdoors. But it was actually a, a mate of mine who's Scottish who'd grown up um, pheasant hunting and you know, got his first shotgun when he was seven years old and would go out. And, and he actually said, to me, I'm going to get my license over here. And so I got my license. Um, for some reason, I guess, must have had an innate um, theory that I didn't want to just go out and shoot stuff for no reason. Um, ended up going on YouTube and YouTubed how to gut and skin a rabbit, which sort of seems hilarious to, to learn that on YouTube, considering it's sort of a real rite of passage for most people that learn to hunt with a 22. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, went out, went out onto a property. Again, pretty fortunate to have met a lot of landowners from living in this area and shot a rabbit and gutted it and skinned it and chucked it in the freezer and thought, well, this works out pretty well and and I was sort of off and off and running from there and and sort of from then on I really had a lot of trouble leaving anything I just couldn't you know even if it was pigs you know it was always I'd, I'd make 15 phone calls to find someone that wanted the pig or I'd take the head off or I'd this or that and just had to started a bit of a obsession with um with using things and then a bloke that was working for me doing traffic control um hunted deer fallow deer down around the back of Ballandine as um, we've got a bit of a population there and um you know I'd only sort of chase rabbits and the odd pig and he said you know come out with me and I went out with him and we he shot a deer and then he he's a kiwi bloke he proceeded to um to gut it and carry it out and we went up and he showed me how to pull it apart and and I said well they good eating and he said my oath they are and and he sort of got the meat for me. I ate that, realised that the meat was fantastic and it's another animal that I could eat. Um, and then about, I don't know, about a month later, he gave me the tanned skin that he tanned at home. And I tell you what, that blew the doors off in my life. My um, my wife, I, she probably wants to string him up because I went from zero to a thousand in one in one foul sweep. When, when I found out that, uh, you know, there was this animal out there that was, you know, amazing to, to hunt, amazing to eat, and, you know, you could clean the skulls, you could do a Euro mount, you could tan the skins. Um, I, I went a bit bananas, to be honest, and, and I just started every every deer that I harvested, I kept the skin. I had about a dozen blokes around, Stanthorpe and Surrounds, that would put them in the freezer for me. I had our, our local game butcher that um, harvests uh, game meat, keeping his skins, and and that's just what I used to do every weekend was was tan skins. And I, I ended up with, I, know, I must have had over 100 at one point in this office here. And my wife just said to me, look, what are you going to do with all these skins? And I said, oh, I'm just not looking at them, you know, like most blokes do. I oh, just like, you know, every now and then I flick through them. And, and so she actually, I've got a little uh, online store, an Etsy store where I sort of sell a few bits and pieces. And, and at this point, the store, its only function is to, allow me to pay for more hunting and more this and that and all the rest and um yeah well, give it a uh, give it a shameless plug jace yeah That's mate yeah, tell us what it is it's uh it's uh it's called wild bounty bazaar if you just google that i think I'm, I'm the only one that's got a store called wild bounty bazaar and you can have a bit of a look and there's different stuff goes up and down and around the place all the time but um but i uh yeah i don't i don't market it too too hardcore it's sort of whoever wants to have a look so but um, so that was that was essentially how I how I went into um, 
into really getting into my, you know, euros and skulls and taxidermy and skins and things. Um, but from the, the hunting side, I suppose what, what Ian was leaning into there um, was that all of the deer hunting that I'd done was all under light. That was just how it was introduced to me. Um, it was the only property. I didn't have any of my own access in deer country. Um, so the only deer hunting I could do was with a mate and they went spotlighting and you know it was um as you know for me as far as i was concerned as long as every single deer that we shot was going in the freezer so you know that was that was good enough for me um so that was the thing i'd, I'd only ever spotlighted um and, and i really i i enjoyed the walking around hunting rabbits during the day with the 22 and stuff like that probably more it was but you know the, the amount of meat you get off a rabbit versus a nice full pack of fallow is um is a bit different so um i actually met ian at uh one of the toowoomba outdoor expos i believe it was what they call them camping and four-wheel drive expo they do yeah and ian was there with the ada doing our license courses and i'd sort of convince one of my mates like look i've heard a bit about this r licensing um i didn't know anyone that did it um didn't know anyone that hunted the forests but um saw it and thought i'll give that a crack and did the test and got my r license and um went to a couple of forests near stanthorpe the sort of banu banu and borok here and it was after there'd been big rains and it was just a choked up hell hole and like i walked around and this and didn't I just I, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd had no experience on public land. You know, it was it was all a bit different, and I'd sort of just about given up on it. Um, and then I thought I'll have a look again. And this is I'm trying to think of how many years ago this would be. Oh, I think how long have we known each other? Four, again? About only four years. It wasn't that long. Four ago. years, four years, five years, anything. And decided to go to Severn, which is you know pretty pretty close, only two hours from home here, and um, You've already done the podcast about Severn, so you sort of know what it's about. And that was back, um, everyone likes to think, you know, four or five years ago was the good old days, is what they say. But um, I, I got very lucky. I, I was just driving around the track in the sort of north portion of the block where all the tracks are and uh, had a goat run across the track in front of me. And I sort of went, oh, oh what you know, pulled over, quickly put my blaze orange on and got my GPS and loaded my gun and, they happened to take me up um, to the um, the bit that you'll both know. It's sort of in the middle, north middle. There's the big rocky outcrop there and the Spot big X. plateau. Yeah, yep. um, yeah. No goats there. Um, no goats there. <laughs> no, no. It's all been shot out um, is the, the, the joke <laughs> we like to make. Um, and followed them up. They led me to a, a mob um, and I took, took two animals. Um, and then dragged them down out of the hill and strung them up in a tree and butchered them. And, and that was sort of my intro into being successful in a state forest. And, and that after that, it was just public land. Like the, the, uh, since then I've been very fortunate that I've stumbled into some, some deer hunting blocks that I can hunt during the day. And I, I've managed to hunt the last two years in the rut and been able to chase some croaking stags, which has been pretty phenomenal. But, um, there's something about that public land. I don't know whether it's because it's an it's a it's an open playing field. 
There's none of this nonsense about, oh, you only get that because you got access or this or that. It's anyone can hunt it and you got to hunt hard. And, and when you get something, I don't know, it just, it's, it's something, there's something more satisfying. And I know you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Harvesting animal, animals on public land, your land that you pay for, knowing that any person can go out there and give it a crack themselves. There's, there's just, there's something magical about that. And that's sort of where, that's where I'm at now. I um I do I do a fair bit on pub on uh, on private land here that I have access to, but um, geez, uh, what I really look forward to is those R license hunts. That's for sure. And you're talking about uh, midwinter heading to Nundal next weekend, and talking about snow forecasts, you know, minus temperatures, and uh, you're raring to go, right? Yep, yep, got. Uh, Booked in at Hanging Rock um, and then had uh, another one of our members in the, the Darling Downs ADA say, look, just book Nundle as well. You know, you, you'll find that, yeah. you know, you, you're there. You might as well go and have a look around through all of it. I, I've only ever been to Nundle once and that was with Ian. Uh, I wasn't hunting. I just sort of went for the experience just to tag along and have a bit of a look. So this will be my first, you know, to be honest, um, not that it isn't obvious enough by now. I, I spend all my time at Severn because I don't have to go anywhere else because there's plenty of animals in there, as, as much as people like to say there isn't. Um, but, um, but yes, this will be my first sort of big excursion um, hunting down there. And, and yeah, I, I can't wait. I hope I freeze my butt off. I hope it snows. I hope it's awful. And I hope, you know, there's, there's deer around. And you know what? I'm, I'm fairly confident there is because, again, that you just – you know, the people you talk to that hunt hard and hunt properly just have no dramas, so. Mm. That's fantastic. You know, I, I, it's funny listening listening to you because there's so much about what you were saying about the fact, you know, like I've got pub, private land access. I've, I've just been from a private block. I've got a, a local private block, you know, 90 minutes from home here, which, you know, puts me in a very rare air living in Brisbane. Um, but you go to public land and, you know, it's like all bets are off. It's it's just you. That's it, you know. GPS marks, stories about this, doesn't matter. You just got to get there and get into it and just keep – start early, finish late, just keep going and it will produce. And sometimes it produces within, you know, the first 30 seconds and sometimes it takes three days but when you when you're on them it's a very very different type of feeling it's it's just i don't know what it is i think it's simply as you said you know it's the fact that it's completely open there isn't any kind of advantage you can have over anyone else other than the fact that what you're got the only advantage you've got is what you put into it and how how shoot uh, how straight you shoot when it comes down to the town, down to it. You know that's 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 your only advantage. You know, and that, I I think that is what's so challenging and so rewarding about public land hunting. What about you? Ben? Oh, look, I I agree, but I, I'm really interested in. Look, I, I sort of know the answers because I've been in and around um, what you've been doing over the last few years, but. Um, you talked about a minute ago you came down to Nundle. You went down to Nundle once and you came down with the branch. Uh, I don't remember the reason why you weren't hunting, but later on I want to talk to you about new hunters and new parks and your experience with taking new people in and, 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 and blooding them for the want of a term, you know, in public land hunting. 
Um, so just, just talk to me a sec about, so why did you go to Nundal unarmed? If that, if, you know, if that's, the, if that's the way we want to put it and, and, and how was that experience? Like, what were you trying to get out of it other than being sort of lead hunting? Um, from memory, um, I think it was, I think, I, I can't even remember if it was that it was booked. It, it might not have even booked. Oh, out. That, my instinct, my, my instinct is to say that it was, it was booked solid. But I, I can't even say that was it. I, I think it was just I knew that there was enough um, enough of us down there that were hunting, um, and and you know I think I think we all get to that point where just being along with a hunt, you know, with other people is you know fun in itself. You don't always feel like pulling the trigger. You know, some of the some of the best times I've had on public land is when. I'm with someone else that's hunting because you know what? I don't have to carry a rifle and I can jump around and I can use my binos all the time and there's no pressure. Um, so I think that might've been an element of it. I thought I'll, I'll come down with some, some blokes from the branch that are familiar with this area. I'll just tag along. It'll be a, a good experience. You know, who doesn't love a, a drive in the country down, down that way. Um, and, and it was, it was great. Got to, um, you know, we camped, uh in ponderosa there which again was it was all new to me um lovely spot there uh froze my butt off in my um rooftop tent thinking oh yeah, it won't be that cold and, and and it blew around like i was in the crow's nest of a ship um <laughs> and then uh and then yeah just 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 tagging along uh for the hunt um uh, we saw I, I sort of went with with yourself that Ian and some of the other fellas split off and and we found sign um, and, you know, they'd been around and, and you could tell that, you know, you, again, if you, you just stayed there for a bit longer and put a bit more effort in, you'd run into them, no worries. Um, I know at the time you were more, excuse me, you were particularly focused on on training uh, your dog um, mm. for tracking and stuff like that. But, but, yeah, it was great, great experience, great to see and, um and as always, you know, when you're back at the camp and everyone's, you know, I brought along, I think I brought along a red deer backstrap and Trev brought a fallow shoulder and some other people brought some stuff. And the, it's a place that um, it's probably the only thing that I can equate to the American deer camp that I've experienced down there. It's, it's really a, a real relaxed, um, you know, a place you can really come back, be yourself and enjoy deer camp. And, and there's, you don't, you don't leave that headspace. You know, sometimes when you hunt during the day, you come home, you have tea, you go to bed, you go out and hunt. You sort of you sort of snap out and into it. Whereas I felt like down at Nundal, that's what you were there for, and everyone was there, and you know, you didn't you weren't you didn't have any other responsibilities. And so yeah, I found it to be um, a great experience, and I can't wait to go back there next weekend and you know have a crack at actually paying attention. That's no, well summed. So, you know, as you know, that the purpose of what, or the purpose when we started this podcast, anyway, was is was to help people get started. So, if we were to ask you to, you know, and now that you're an old hand at Severn, if we were to kind of go back in the way back machine, what was your first experiences of Severn, and what would you what would you tell your first self now that you might, if you were to give yourself some, you know, a bit of guidance. What was your really your first experience with Severn? Um, well, I like I say, I, I got I got really lucky. I, I you know I know that um, obviously 
I've experienced and then, you know, people that have hunted our license a long time before me have experienced, you know, really high numbers of animals in that forest where, you, you know, you're almost tripping over them. And it's definitely backed off, you know, the numbers are, are down after the, you know, the prices and stuff went up. But but like I said, I, I got lucky that uh, that I had a goat run across in front of me. Um, but just just what the advice I'd probably give myself is is look around. Like I got I got this stuck in my head for a while that this is where I'd seen the goats that's where they're going to be. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not exploring anywhere else. And, and don't get me wrong, it, it more often than not, it worked out for me uh, because they were there a lot of the time. Um, but since then, now, I'd like to think that I've just about covered everywhere in that forest, you know, like you, you, you would know yourselves that you, you spend a bit of time in there, you can cover it, although it's, you know, it's not the, the biggest park. Um and yeah, just learning learning the ground a bit better. Um, I think yeah, learning learning the tracks, learning the ground, learning the sign is something that I've appreciated much more now. Rather than oh, I'm just going to go up here because that's where I think the goats are, sort of thing. I think that that'd be the advice I'd give myself: is just get, get a bit better at your hunting skills. Don't just rely on spotting the white patch in the bushes, sort of thing. Basically, okay. Because that that it is true. I mean, uh, look, I I hunted Severn. First time I hunted Severn was in two ten, and it had only been open for a couple of years. And and there was still, I think, there was still a sign of of it once held quite a large sheep population, I believe, and there was still the sign of some of the sheep were around. And it was, you know, there was, but. There was lots of game there, but I must admit, I've never really been to Severn when there isn't lots of game. I know, you know, there's plenty of stories that it's got no game. I've never really found a time when it hasn't got game. I've certainly found times when it's lesser or they're harder to locate. There was a period of time when it was very, very dry that, you know, it was almost bare, but everywhere was bare then. Um, but I, I myself haven't ever found it, you know, bereft of game. There's always been something there. And I, I, when people tell me, you know, you know, they say, oh, I don't go to Severn because there's nothing there. It's been shot out and things like that. I, I often wonder what experiences and what approach are they using to, 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 to come to that conclusion. And I think you're right. Far too many people, when, when I talk to people about Severn, they kind of go, they're almost like the old fishing, you know, give me the GPS mark of the reef you know it's like where, where where's the where's the where's the bommie that you know the fish are held up on and obviously you know game do congregate in certain areas and that rock formation is a um it's notorious for goats because it's a perfect location for goats it's a rock formation it's high they can they've got great cover there's a there's a stream down below it's got good pick so you're going to get animals there but often yeah people kind of are looking for that answer about where the animal is or what gully they're in. And I've always found with public land hunting, you just got to find those things. And, and you know, and that it is not, it doesn't re replicate itself. So much so where I've seen that the most is with the pillager. The pillager is never the same hunt twice. It's actually quite interesting in that way because it has such significant seasonal changes. It just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't replicate itself. You know, you'll go down there and you'll see wildflowers that you won't see any other time of the year. You'll go there and you'll see 
a congregation of birds that you don't see other times or you'll and in the next time will be a congregation but it'll be different birds and that's what you really get quite interesting and you know sometimes the goats are holding up this kind of way other times they're holding up in, in you know a different type of way i remember once we went there and it was summer and all the goats were holding up in the sand country in the shade so they were going into the sand country getting in the shade and just holding up. Other times, there's not a sign of them. They're not there. They've moved on. They've, they've, so that idea about looking for game and, and um, you know, and being on your toes and saying, okay, I know what I did last time, but that might not replicate this time is a really important factor, I think, for public land success. Because you do you get people go, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to Nundal. I'm going to go here. And I kind of go, okay, just what are you going to do if they're not there waiting for you? I think um, I've, uh, because having it been sort of fairly close, I've been there, I go there quite a bit sort of thing. And over the last probably two years, it's definitely been uh, a decline, you know, not not as much, you know, we, we always make the joke, you know, oh, there's nothing there, it's shot out. And then you have a bit of a laugh and you say, no, it's ridiculous. But um, But certainly a decline in numbers is what I've seen. But even on that, the handful of times that I've been where I haven't taken animals, I have heard them, and let's say I've heard them and they end up being on private. Um, we've seen them on the ridges on the far end of the exclusion zone sort of thing. Like there's, there's, there's been times we haven't taken animals, but they've always been been there. And that's the, the advice that I've always given everyone is just – just go, just go and look. And you know what? If you've been walking around for five hours and you haven't seen anything, you might see them in the next 10 minutes. You know, it's just sort of that thing I found with public land is that you just, you keep going and you keep going and you get to the point where you're going to give up. And you know what? Go for another 15 minutes because they just, when you least expect it, you better be ready because they come out of nowhere, you know? So, yeah, yeah it is like that, isn't it? It's, it's hours of, you know, I always think your hunting is actually about 30 seconds. At the <laughs> you know, everything is prepped to that 30 seconds. I, I, I hunted a red deer block in um, up at Kilcoy, and for three months I hunted that block, but really I hunted that block for about a minute and a half. The rest was just getting ready for that minute and a half. And yep. that's what that's what you get with certainly with public land hunting, you know. And I, I haven't hunted Severn for a while, but I hunted it. I've probably hunted Severn around twenty to thirty times over the years, and because you know it was only it's only a four hour drive, so I would literally, I've actually hunted it in a day. Um, I remember once with a um, Echo Wednesday, you know, I left at three a.m., got down there, hunted it for the day, and drove home, and and you know did it all in a day. So it's a great. I did the same thing. Did exactly the same thing. Drove down there expecting to backpack hunt i don't know why i think i was said this idea of backpack hunting was a great idea but there's no point in severn because you just hit the next road uh and you might as well have just driven there um but i i, I was going to do this and i had my pack on and i walked up our favorite spot and um knocked over two animals in about 10 minutes of being there and then realized i forgot my esky so uh, the whole lot had to go into the back of the car so i could get back home again and make sure it went on ice uh, so i was there for a grand total of 30 minutes and I was out. I was finished. So it was. Um, it is like that. It's it's quite interesting. But um, so the other day you spoke to me, Jace, about um, 
the experience of a new hunter into Severn. Uh, and, and this is not Severn specific, but it's certainly the experience of a new hunter. I've taken a load of new people into uh, various different places, but it was a particularly good um, story that you told uh, about the experience that you managed to make this guy go through. So it might be worth talking about that. Um, <laughs> with a particular theme, actually, you might give up the story for old mate when he when he listens, but um, it's probably more about the challenge, isn't it, really? And, and maybe the respect you need to give to public land um, if you're going to get into it, it, it's it's not a walk in the park all day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, <clears throat> it's funny. I, I called him and I said, um, there's, there's a chance I'm going to uh, talk about your little introduction to public land hunting. And he said, oh, he said, don't make me sound too hopeless. And I said, no, no worries, <laughs> mate. That's all right. But, um, but yeah, I've got a, um, a, a mate that I met through another mate. And, and look, and I am. Um, you know, I don't consider myself uh, to have any qualifications, I suppose, to be taking anyone out. Um, you know, I, I always think that I'm, I'm, I'm definitely no bow hunter. I'm too loud. I don't track very well. Um, I, I think the reason I have success is because I'm just hard headed and I, I don't tend to give up easy with stuff. And so I generally, my, my, my plan for public land hunting is I just keep walking until I find something. And if I don't find something, I just keep walking. And um, and that's been my success. And, and, and inevitably, I like to think I've picked up some skills along the way. But, um, but yes, I'm, I'm no um, expert hunter by, by any means. I just I think I'm a bit thick and I just keep going. But, um, but anyway, it's a, a friend of a friend's. Uh, he's up in Brisbane, known him for many years. <clears throat> he's, um, he's had, you know, guns, uh, done a bit of hunting. But um, in, I, I guess... Not, not to you know. I'm not saying anything's a bad experience or anything like that. But, but he um, had not done any of the hunting that we would consider, you know, like hunting and taking the meat and sort of having that respect for the animal. A lot, of, a lot of pest destruction. Let's say, you know, going out, blowing stuff away, taking a couple of photos, and and that and that's always needed on properties and farms. And farmers need that, and, and that's that sort of stuff. But he, um, I was impressed that sort of his own natural instincts he he'd sort of become dissatisfied with that and and was reaching out to me um he'd known that you know we do a lot of deer hunting and eating the meat tan and the skins and and he just he wanted to get into the, that he wanted to be a part of the process uh, from start to finish and that went a long way with me just the fact that he, he wanted to respect the animal and get it done properly and I thought you know what I'll you know because I feel like there is a bit of a everyone has a bit of a knee-jerk reaction when someone says, oh, you take me out hunting, and you go, oh, no, there's the whole gun safety, and there's this, and there's that, and there's all these things you like to build up in your head about how you're not going to enjoy the experience. But I thought, you know what, we'll give it a crack. And I actually invited him out, um, told him to bring his 22 out, and we went out, we went out for a night of, of rabbit hunting because he'd never gutted anything, never butchered anything. And I thought, well, if we go out rabbit hunting, I'll get an idea of his his firearm safety, how he handles a weapon, you know, how he acts, all those sort of things. And by the end of the night, he ticked all the boxes. He was super safe. He was so aware of his muzzle. He never wandered around in the chamber while we were moving. Um, shot well. Um, he'd never gutted anything, so I showed him how to do the rabbit, which made me laugh about me those all those years before YouTubing it on a video. Um, and he had a crack, did it all. Um, and one of the things that, really impressed me was we'd, we'd shot probably 10 rabbits um 
and he sort of said to me, I'm, I'm done. And, and he'd had enough of killing for the night. And I thought, oh, that, that's a good thing, being able to have that sort of restraint that he, he wasn't just there to yee-haw and, and just blow holes and things. So that was his sort of his introduction to me. And I thought, well, I'm going to give this guy a go because he seems like he's someone that can be pushed in the right direction. Um, had, like a lot of people I hear about, he'd had his R licence for a long time and never used it. Um, and it was because he'd always been waiting for friends to go with and everyone had been busy and couldn't go and, and you know, didn't want to step out. You know, I suppose it can be quite a daunting thing, you know, going out there if you haven't done it yourself, um, worried about getting stuck, all those things that you guys have talked about on previous podcasts, dehydration, getting into bad situations. You know, it's great to go with someone and someone that's been there before. So I just said to him, look, I'll take you down to Severn and we'll go for a walk around, and I'm fairly confident you'll get onto animals. I don't know if you'll, you know, freeze up or shoot them or you won't or this or that, but I'm fairly confident you'll get onto them, um, which was – so that was the plan. Um, I, I will admit to a bit of uh, a malicious sort of plan. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't just going to take him to spot X and pull up and walk up the hill and have a bit of a look around. I thought, you know what? Um, you know, not not that I'm an old timer by any means, but I thought we're going to make him work for this because if he goes out here and it takes him ten minutes and he shoots a goat, he's just not going to get what public land hunting is all about. And so I'd sort of devised a, a a track or where we were going to walk, and you never know. Like we could have got out the car and they could have walked out in front of us. Could have been you know five minutes and it was done. But I sort of thought this would be a good hike in. We'll get down there. I've got a spot that I've got marked on my GPS that's down in the Never Never. Um, we'll see what we can do. But I wanted him to experience um, walking in himself and, and sort of realising what he needed to do. Where I decided to go, because um, you guys will know what I'm talking about, on the um, on the southern side of uh, Mount Hallam Road, sort of when you drive in, you hit the, the grid there. And sort of immediately you drive up a bit and immediately to your left is sort of that southern boundary fence that runs on the on the cockies land there and goes all the way to basically, I guess you would call the south eastern corner, I guess, mm-hmm. on the on the southern yeah. block when you when you split it up into the top block and the and the bottom block. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, you basically if you if you walk all the way down that fence line and then around the jag and all the way down pretty much to the to the very bottom corner of that block, and then you cut in to head back up to the middle, there's a, a ridge through there. There's a you know a bit of a rocky ridge through yep. there. Like like we keep saying, look for rocks and ridges and look up, and they're probably there. So Pre-feds. I thought yep. that's, that's the plan. We're going to get down there. Um, I had – I thought I had overemphasised water – Clothes, long clothes, snacks, you know, be ready. Assume you're going to be out all day. Um, uh, in hindsight, I probably could have really cranked down on that a bit harder. Um, but anyway, we, we get out and we've got the same amount of water. I think I had six litres and he might have had six litres too. So a lot of water considering, you know, you're only going to be walking for a few hours sort of thing, I guess. Um and now th- this bloke, my mate, he's I think he's six eight or six nine. Like he's this monster oh, wow. of a fella, big big fella, um, lovely bloke. But um, you know ha- has you know gets a bit of a sore back and things like that as tall blokes do. But strapped his backpack on, 
and off we went. Um, we got about 200 metres from the car and he's going, oh, oh, oh. And I looked over and, and for anyone that's been to Severn in the last 12 months and at, at particularly on that southern block, there is a sea of cobbler's pegs and farmer's friends and, and it is a nightmare. And, and the, the local cockies have sort of said it's that drought, flood, drought, flood that makes them really bloom down there. But it is it is horrendous. Like if you were down there in shorts, you, you just you just turn around and go back. And so I've turned around and had a look at him. I didn't realise he's he's wearing, um, you know, like the, the the mossy oak sort of camo. They're a mm. net mesh, very yeah. breathable summer. Because yeah. he's thinking, he's thinking, I'm going to overheat. I'm going to wear these. And yeah, he's he's walked about 500 metres, and he is a human echidna. His <laughs> his his legs are just completely covered. And it's not like when you get them on your jeans and you can't feel them. He is feeling every single one of these spines because it's only oh, mesh. Yeah. They're going straight into his leg. Yeah. And. Uh, I thought, yeah, and, and he, but he was determined. He said, no, no, it's all right. We'll keep going. And I, I don't think I sort of really processed what he was going through because the entire hunt, he was just in pain the whole time. <gasps> anyway, we walked. <laughs> we walked because uh, a few years ago, they actually put in a new fence line on that one and they actually cleared the um, cleared the trees down there. So it's, it's a bit of an easier walk. It's still, it gets to spots where it's chest high grass there, but it's not going through the jungle sort of thing. It's a bit easier. So we, we walk down and we're sort of periodically stopping, checking, like I've just got my chest bino rig, you know, looking and just sort of trying to show him that, it again, it's not like private land where, you know, oh, yeah, it's they're always in the back corner of that. But it's yeah. they can pop up. They can pop up anywhere. You've you got to be on the ball at all times. So that's the plan. Um, again, I didn't bring a gun, so I was having a great day. No pressure, no nothing, because he's got to carry his gun. And um, so we went down, and I think that walk all the way down, I think I measured it or we GPSed it. I think it's about, might be three and a half K or something like that down there. I'm only guesstimating, but all down there. So let, let's say three and a half. So we get all the way down, and we're doing the usual stop, slow, stop, slow, pull up for a drink, stop, slow, have a listen. Hadn't seen anything yet. And again, <laughs> every time he stops, I'm sitting down. He's not sitting down because he can't. Because he's got too many cobblestones in his pants. <laughs> uh, so we get down. <laughs> did you get a photo of that? Uh, I don't think I do. I've got a bad enough oh. one from when I went last time. My, my pants were real bad. But got down there. Um, and, and he's already saying how much more enjoyable this is. You know, it's you're outside, you're in the day, you're day hunting. You know, just like we were saying, you can't explain it. It's this sort of sense of adventure that you get on public land that and i guess for him especially being his first time there you know, he's just he's having a great time get down get all the way down to where we want to be and we cut in to cut back up yeah and it and it is thick it is thick as thick it's a hell hole it's tangled and we're just slogging through trying to be quiet slog through climb up one of the ridges again stop for a drink i have a laugh because he's not sitting down um go through and I, I was sort of thinking to myself there's no there's no tracks through the grass it's all green grass very easily pressed down there's no tracks through the grass there's no fresh sign there's nothing here we're not hearing goats and I sort of started to get a little bit pessimistic to myself I just sort of didn't say it to him but I just thought you know and I've got on my GPS 
got signed on my GPS here. And I thought, all right, so we'll push over. Pushed up, over, coming down. And we came up over the ridge and it started to get a bit more sandy, you know, that sort of telltale goat country, sandy, rocky. And I looked down and there was some fresher droppings, you know, not not hours, but days old. And I said, look, we better just be on here and we'll, we'll, we'll just, because that's the freshest sign we've seen. And, and I, you know, I do have, I always have faith in Severn that it's going to produce. We didn't walk 100 metres across that ridge line. Um, and earlier, it was funny, about an hour earlier, I'd said to him, if we bump goats, I said, the first thing you're going to hear, mate, is Pfft. you're just going to hear that sound that they do. They spit when they smell you or they spot you. I said, if you hear that, we need to move quick because that means we're busted. We'll try and sort of see. Anyway, we walk 100 metres and, of course, we hear this this nanny blows. She goes, Pfft. and it's like, yep, they're here somewhere. We're on a ridge. They're down in the valley, but the valley is so thick and so choked. There was eight goats down there, and we couldn't see one of them. And so we're walking across the ridge, and we'd get blown again, and we'd walk back around the ridge, and we'd get blown again, and we'd walk back. And you just, I guess that the saving grace was they couldn't see us either. It was so thick down there that they couldn't see us. They'd obviously winded us. And uh, I just said to him, look, let's just go make a plan. I'm, you know, if we bust them out of this bowl, they're going to come up on one of the ridges somewhere and we can sort of follow them up there. Went down um, and had said to him, be ready, but had not explained be ready means these things are going to appear. In, they're going to materialise in front of us. You need to be ready. And so sure enough, walk 50 metres into this scrub and there's a goat standing broadside. Um, and I... He, he shot and he, he shot over the back of the first one. I think just, you know, that you get that stag fever and and I essentially, uh, and he thanked me for it afterwards. I, I took over his brain. I just, I said, you've missed, reload again. He's reload. I said, yep, hit that one. He's gone bang, hit that one. Another one's busted to the right. I've said, right, to the right, two o'clock, that one again. He's hit that. A Billy's come around the side. I've said, turn, load again, because I, I could just tell that, it was a very overwhelming at the time. He's never, um, he'd never seen a goat in the wild, let alone hunted one. So this is all happening very fast. Anyway, bang, 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 got these goats down and there's a couple more coming up the ridge and he sort of loaded again and I just went, whoa, stop. I said, we're the best part of four Ks in here. <laughs> I said, just and I ain't stop. leaving shit lying on the ground. <laughs> and uh like Ian knows, everyone that hunts with me knows that I just, I really struggle to leave anything behind. I've got mates with dogs. I've got mates that are taxidermists that appreciate even the smallest little nanny skull. They'll clean it up and sell it themselves. And I just, I really try and retrieve everything I can. Um, so once we sort of calmed in and the, the nerves had stopped and, you know, we saw the other goats walk up and over the edge of the bowl and i shaking his hand and we went and had a look and pulled them all together and um and you know he he just that that same the same thing we all talk about that adrenaline dump you know that that minute and a half of of action that you have for the hours of hunting um it had all sort of come together and i think he was still sort of in shock um which was it was just great and for me you know a great feeling to to have put a game plan together and had it had it work um 
I did. I I said to him, I said, this, is, this isn't right. I said, you're not supposed to shoot one on your first go. I said, I was supposed to lead you down a track where there was no goats, but... Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, at that point, again, he's never gutted anything bigger than a rabbit. So that's a whole new visceral experience, you know, getting your hands dirty. And so I, I did the first one, showed him how to do the next one. And, and then he, um, he sort of went with his billy and had a bit of a go. And, and yeah, it was a, a real learning experience for him. But uh, it's funny, Ian, I think Ian mentioned a couple of podcasts before the, um, he he was he really wanted to bring home a goat skin. He wanted to tan one. Um, these goats were like nothing I had ever seen before. Um, we walked up on this billy goat, and my mate said, "Isn't that a lovely black and white billy goat?" And we got closer, and it was just a pure white billy goat, but it was matted. It was matted like nothing else. Like you could you could almost knock on it like a piece of hardwood. There was this shield on these goats. They were just fallen, and he was. A bit devastated that we, um, you just you would have never been able to do anything with the skins. You know, he, he was a bit devastated he couldn't bring them back. But we brought back, um, we brought back the the billy, which was good. But anyway, so got those out. Um, and I've been, you know, as you do, having my water. And 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 I, my general rule is once I get close to half, I'm turning around. You know, that's sort of my idea with my water. That's just me. Once I get close to half, I'm going to turn around and start hunting back towards camp because you know i i have put myself even in severn being as small as it is i have put myself in bad situations in that park um where i've run off after something and left my bag behind and then been climbing up a mountain and getting a bit woozy because i'm not having my water with me so anyway we're there i'm having a bit of a drink and um we finished gutting out these goats and i've got one strung up and I'm, i'm quartering it out so that we can chuck it in the game bags and pack it out and my mate says to me, oh, onto me last bottle of water. And I've still got half of mine. And I went, what? And he went, yeah. And he sort of <laughs> cleaned, enough, cleaned off his hands and having a bit of a drink. And, and, he's, and he's, he's warm. Like I can tell he's, you know, I guess you get, you get a bit situated to it and you get a bit hunting fit when you do it a bit. And this is his first time. And he's, he's knackered after all that and dragging the goats and, and being, as I said, his six foot eight frame bent over in half, gutting out these goats. He's, he's really dusted at that point. And, and I thought we've still got four Ks and it's uphill. Once you start going out the other way, it might not be tough trekking up that fence line, but it's uphill. And so I thought, all right, let, let's move quick. And, and I just started just taking quarters off and back straps out without skinning the goats. So it's like, yep, just take it all off, stick it in the meat bag, stick it in our backpacks. Then I realised, you know, I've got a 20-litre Ridgeline backpack, which I've now upgraded um, to a 35-litre one with a proper frame in it. Um, so I've sort of packed mine up as much as I can. I've zip-tied all the meat bags to the outside, looked at his bag, and he's brought a he, – he, he, um, he works for Cat. He's brought a, a black Cat laptop bag. It's about this big. <laughs> and so we, we've – I, I couldn't really put any liters of water. Oh, well, that's a, I don't know. It's it's sort of packed it, all, packed it all in there. So, so I ended up having to actually. I, I always carry paracord with me so that I can string an animal up and and butcher it hanging in the tree because I don't want to hurt my back. And I've ended up tying four quarters of a billy goat, a good sized billy goat, and the back straps onto this little backpack on him, and sort of he sort of slogged it on and put it up and stood up. 
And it's just everything that you don't want with an unbalanced pack. You know, you, you, every time you step to the left, it's swinging to the left and every time to the right. And, and we've thought, all right, let's get out of here because it's going to start getting dark. Um, so I suppose, you know, to cut a bit off the story, climb up, climb out, going up. And my mate's feeling it. Um, and, and I have a, I've got a bad habit. Like I said, I'm pretty hard headed is, is once I'm on a mission, like, especially once you've already harvested the game, I just go and I, I don't stop and I ignore the pains in the legs and I ignore all that. And that's how I sort of get myself in trouble sometimes, but I'll, I'm motoring off. And then I'd stop and realize my mates, you know, four or 500 meters behind me. I think, oh, what am I doing? I go back and I said to him, just yell out, yell out if you're having a hard time and I'll, um, I'll give you a hand. And so he's sort of, coming up and we're going and we're stopping, having a drink, stopping and having a drink. And I just said to him, I said, look, you're not going to die here. I, I got plenty of water. You can have my water. The car's literally three k's up the road. Worst case scenario, I will hike up to the car, get some water and hike back. We'll camp here. Don't stress. Like, don't think that this is a dire situation. You know, it's okay. Um, so he pushed on and, and I'll give him credit. This whole time, um, oh, fun fact that he won't like me mentioning, the cobbler's pegs in his pants were giving him so much trouble when he was trying to gut the the goats. He said to me, he said, oh, you know, if it wasn't for you here, I, I'd just take my trousers off. And I said, mate, like, I said, just just do it. Like, I'm not going to, what do you think I'm going to ban you from the from the hunting, you know, community for doing that? And so he'll oh, have a laugh about this when he hears it. So he's there sweating it out, this big giant man, in his underwear, <laughs> doing his best, his first time he's ever processed a large animal. And to his credit, he stuck with it anyway. And then he's, he couldn't walk out in his undies because the grass was too long. So he had to put those horrible cobbler's pegs pants back on. I can imagine it. Uh, it and, and that's it's, you just start adding layer onto layer onto layer of this, this poor bloke's experience. He'll never forget this. He'll never forget no. this. <laughs> and we got, we got where we were probably only... Uh, a K and a half, just had to walk up the hill on that fence line to get up to where the grid is, to where the car was. And we're going and uh, I'm walking and I hear, oh, and I turn around and my mate's on the ground and I can just see him rolling going, oh, no. And I've yelled out, yeah, oh, you're right, mate. Oh, yeah, I'm all right. And it, it turned out, he told me afterwards what had happened. He twisted his ankle on a rock, hit the ground. And as soon as he'd hit his ground, he'd got a leg cramp in both legs at the same time. And so the boy is rolling around on the ground. I go down, we get up, we get all the way back to the car, we drop the packs, and I, I make a point of just saying to him, mate, you've really impressed me today, and shook his hand. And, you know, just the look on his face and the satisfaction, and he just said, he said, that, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. You know that you know the hardest thing physically, you know, sort of mental is the hardest thing I've done. And and when we were when we were driving in, sorry to keep going off on a tangent. When we'd been driving <laughs> in, he he sort of said to me, "I'm really looking forward to when I know this forest because I'm going to bring such and such with me, my mate." And I thought and I thought, oh yeah, because I know the bloke. And well, yeah, right, eh? and you know, and I, I might do some day hunts by myself. I'll just go by myself, and it'll be really good. And at the end of it, he said to me, he said. I'm not doing this stuff by myself. That's ridiculous. And he said, my mate I was going to bring, he's never going to make that. And and I just said to him, I said, do you know why you got goats today? And he said, why? I said, 
how far did you go in there? He said, well, I don't know. It ended up, I think it ended up being nine Ks we, we tracked right by the time we got back to the car. I said, how many people after walking 100 metres and then getting pants full of cobbler's pegs keep going? No one. Everyone just goes, no, nah, the south side's knackered. Don't, don't go down there. It's horrible. Mm. I said, then you got down there. Then you found the goats. You shot them. You didn't just take a photo with them and leave, which, you know, no discredit to anyone that does that. You're doing your legal hunting. I don't mind. That's fine. But you, you, you made the point of butchering them and bringing the meat back. You've just about killed yourself coming back, but you never gave up and you're back here. And I said, this is what, this is how you win at public land hunting. I said, do you want to know the cheat code for public land hunting? Do this. Just push and push and push and keep going and don't give up. And um, and he, you know, since the, and we, we, our plan, we were going to stay there the night. We were going to camp. And my house is only two hours from Severn. I said, hey, mate. How about we just go home and have a shower? And he went, yeah, mate, that's fine. And so same thing. <laughs> ended, ended up being a day hunt. And, uh, and yeah, just everything that I have experienced, he, you know, sort of told me that that's how he was feeling. Just the satisfaction, um, you know, the, the next day we got all the meat out, we butchered it all up, boned it out, cryovacked it, and he took all that meat home you know, to make curries. He took the shanks to do shanks and and just, you know, he, he sort of has said to me the same thing I guess we all get to is that that closing the circle of where your meat comes from and the hunt and remembering the hunt and the, the fact that it was so hard and it just kicked the crap out of him. He, he just said it was the, he said it was the best introduction to public land hunting he, he could have had. And so that's, you know, for me, that, that's the satisfaction it was better better than me going hunting and, and getting something myself it was it was just great but i did uh i do have a little bit of a smile and i think mm. about you know oh we probably could have just driven up around the track and shot one and it would have been 10 meters from the track and just loaded in the car but you know what you wouldn't have had as much fun and because he's forgetful i have actually got his billy goat euro here so this is and again, not, um, you know, people talk about 30s and 40s and 50s and stuff like that, but that was his, his first ever large game animal, um, first ever goats seen in the wild and first goats taken and um, a, a cracking little trophy that he can keep on his wall. And he said to me that, you know, this, this little billy goat means the world to him as a, mm. as a trophy for, for public land. So, so yeah, so I am. Um, I really like that story. Ian knows that I'm, I'm not very forwards with uh, being in the spotlight and, and things like that. But he, he yes, he, he, that's a good story. I think it's a it's a great example of, of what if if you're willing to put the hard yards in, just the just the experiences you can have and just not giving up. So, and he and he burnt he burnt the pants. He didn't even he didn't even try to pants. It's a great summation of public land hunting and. Like we've we talked about Severn, uh, like you said, we've talked about it in, in another episode, and you know we talked about it being this small park, and you know you can you can cover a lot of it, you know, in a weekend quite easily. But at what time of year were you in there? It wasn't that long ago, but it must have been in in autumn. Uh, yeah, probably probably a month or two ago. Yeah, so, so it not, cool, not it was that. still cooler weather. You're still knocking yeah. back the water. Um, you know, w- without a bit of experience, old mate was in a bit of trouble. So you know, even though it's a smaller park, you, you've got to take it seriously. It's 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 not all easy, 
Um, and you've got to be prepared for this stuff, right? Yeah, that's. Oh, sorry. That's what I said. That was one of his takeaways was that he he, he just thought he even though I had warned him, he, he said he just he he couldn't comprehend what it really meant. You know, you had to sort of to be there to know. So yeah. That's right. I mean, Severn Wasps, it is small. It, 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 it's wild country, though. It's it's just smaller. It's, a, you know, it's a smaller parcel of wild country, and especially that southern block, dude. That's wild country. You know, there is vehicle tracks in there. You will run into them, but for the most time, you are not following a track. You might be following a game trail, but you're not following a track. You're not, it's not like that. And that's one of the interesting things when you talk to people who do things like bushwalking or hiking, Often in those situations, you're travelling along fairly well-travelled paths. What we're doing is the opposite. We're actually going, no, we want to move away from the well-travelled path. We want to go into the into the hard stuff because that's where the game's going to be. So, yeah, you know, small block, yes, but certainly that southern block is a tough block as well. I've, I've been in there a couple of times where it's got – well, I was in there once specifically with someone and, and it got in, we got in a bit of trouble with that person. And like you said, in the end, I had to get out, go back, get a vehicle and come back and pick up the other two guys. And, you know, and I said to them, look, you just head directly this direction. Just keep walking in and out. You will hit the road, you know, line of sight. Well, I got went back out and got a vehicle because, you know, it can get a bit tricky down there. And um, and water is – you burn through water when you – I don't know if it's because you you know – I've thought about this a lot about why you seem to burn through a lot of water when you're hunting. And I wonder if it's because your brain is on. You're actually, you know, because when you're hot, when you're walking, unless you're really, really observant, you know, you can't, you're not in a daze, but you're not in a really high state of, of engagement. When you're hunting, especially if you're hunting properly, you know, you're engaged all the way. It's you're on all the time. So, you know, you're always thinking, looking, guessing, trying to figure out what this with this particular sign means. And I wonder if that's actually one of the reasons why you seem to chew up so much water because you're actually just burning through through many so much calories. I've always I think found that, um yeah when you're hunting or when you when you're when you're bushwalking or doing anything you stop for a drink. When you hunt you stop every few steps. So I think it's natural for you just to go, I'll have a sip and we talked earlier about, you know, in our gear episode, we talked about the camelbacks. Mm. Uh, and I had not even considered it until I was talking to another one of the members who said, yeah, I don't do that anymore. I carry a drink. I have a purposeful break and have a drink of water and I can see what's left. Your camelback can run out before you know it. Yeah. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing. And I find myself doing it. Walk, 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 stop, glass, sip, go. Sip, you know, you always sip it on that little straw that's hanging over your shoulder. So, it's it's a it's a good point to you know to to make because you can you can get in trouble. I think um I think the the big takeaway for me what I didn't realise was I, I was focused on my water because we had the same amount of water. The assumption was that we were both right, and I. You know, I, I probably that's what I, I didn't realize. He's such a bigger bloke than me, and he, he was newer to it. I just didn't realize he was going through his water quicker than I was. And, and and that's something that I'll remember now with taking a new hunter is don't assume that they're on the same water schedule as you. Like, I'll really go out of my way to check their water levels too, because that, that I felt like that was 
a bit of a mistake that I, again, like I, I never felt like it was something that was going to put his life in danger. I could always, you know, hike out that, but it was something that I picked up that different people just require different amounts of water and, and, you know, just making sure that everyone's got what they need for themselves, mm. I suppose. So. Yeah. I, and I reckon Mark will agree when I say this, when you said six litres each in the back of my mind, I went, holy shit, that's a lot yeah. of water. There's no way in hell I would have carried six litres of water down there. Um, it, I'd be lucky to carry three. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, you're right. It just He wasn't match fit for what he was getting into and just burnt through it. Just wasn't used to it. But. Yeah, I run a camelback, and I think it's a three-litre camelback. I think so. I'm just trying to think now. Um, I'm used to, I'm pretty lean on water usage. I, I just think just through practice, I, I, I tend to be pretty lean on it. I actually think at times I might be a little too lean. This is a couple of times I've, I've you know, I felt a little dehydrated, especially um, in summertime. From I, I wonder if I should probably try and suck some, you know, drink more. So I've never ran out of water. Um, I've never run out of food or water, but I've, I've, I've certainly been with people who have, and we've gone, okay, we've got to figure out what to do now, and you know, break it up amongst us and so on. But personally, myself, knock on wood, I've never, I, I won't run out. It's funny that what I really liked, Jace, was you know, you, you talk about rabbits. It might sound odd, but technically, the last animal I learnt to skin was a rabbit. I never, I never grew up rabbit shooting, and and you know I didn't have that kind of experience as a kid. And for whatever reason, the first animal I ever shot was a pig. You know, it, it it was actually quite a long time into my hunting career that I actually shot a rabbit. So you know, and you know, in in regards to things like twenty twos, I, I I owned a thirty cal before I owned twenty two. Um, and in fact, the only 22 I ever, I ever owned, I still got it. I bought it for my wife, to be honest, because she wanted to come out the range. So I, I bought a 22 for her, and it, it's it's a lovely thing. It's a you know, an old Bruno, and it's a wonderful rifle. And I'm looking forward to giving it to my boys. But that that idea, you know, I think one of the the great things that public land hunting can open up to people is is, is that if you hunt private land and that's your kind of heritage. If you don't have that, you know, you're kind of eliminated from hunting, whereas public land hunting lets people who, who've never hunted before have the opportunity to start, you know. As you said, you were you were in your early 20s. I was in my late teens before I started firing, you know. I had air rifles as a kid, but my first experience with rifles was at Belmont Rifle Range, and that was only because I had a driver's licence that I could drive out there and do that. So that starting from, you know, not starting from a heritage of hunting is 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 quite an interesting learning. And I think that's what public land really opens up for people to actually get out there and put those things into practice. And as your mates, you know, as you were talking about your friend, you know, it opened up a whole new approach to hunting in that it's not about, you know, going to the farm and sitting on the back veranda and or sitting in the paddock and shooting things as they go past. It's it's a completely different approach. And I, I actually think it's it's one of the great building blocks of what, you know, how to build that idea that hunting is actually something worth pursuing is being put in that kind of situation and going, okay, so that's what it's really like to get a curry. That's what it takes to get a curry. <laughs> I can go to Woolies or I can do that. 
And yeah, and, and, and in real terms, you think that, that curry is probably about what three thousand bucks a kilo at the moment. <laughs> oh, but it, it, over time, it, it, over time, it does it does kind of readjust down. But it's it's you're starting at a fairly fairly you know higher level of of, of, of quality in terms of kilo per meat. But actually learning that process and or even just experiencing that process. What we're doing here at home is we're trying to eat a game meal every every week now. So that's kind of a little thing we've set for ourselves. And for me, that means, you know, get more experience at processing game meat and and, and, and moving on from that. I, I didn't come from a background of that. So things like, you know, experimenting with making, you know, small goods and sausages and things like that, it's all very much a new experience, but we're, we're certainly enjoying it. But the, I think if more people pursue that, especially in the hunting scene, they'd feel a lot more connected to the process. I think um, for, for me too, what what public land did for me, I um, like I said, majority of the, the doing was at night. And look, in reality, it was it was pest destruction really for, for vineyards and, and tomato farms and stuff. And, and so, you know, it, it was, you know, between half a dozen, half a dozen of us, you know, it was not uncommon to process 150 deer a year. Like, and, I, and it seems ridiculous, but you know, bef- before the helicopter culls really set in, you know, sort of five years ago when they really started hitting it hard down at Sunday and with the helicopter, um, there were there were too many there. They needed to be knocked down. To be honest, there started being vehicle accidents and stuff like that. But but we did a lot of processing, and, and I was very fortunate that I had blokes that. You know, made their own sausages, made salamis and stuff. Very, very fortunate to, to have been shown how to do a lot of that stuff. But uh, that was before I said to you that re- in the recent couple of years, I've, I've gained access that I can actually hunt during the day um, and I can hunt deer and I can sort of manage it a bit and, you know, choose not to take shots, which is is great. You know, it's, it's nice to be on a block where you don't have to shoot every animal you see because it does get a bit, you know, grates on you a bit after a while. Um, if it wasn't for that public land hunting that I started, I, I wouldn't have known what I was doing, to be honest. I would have gone straight from spotlighting every night to hunting during the day and trying to do that. And that's what public land did for me. It actually, all that day hunting and all that practice and all that stalking I got to do, chasing goats around in Severn. And, and I've you know, been down to Parkhurst and Bingaroo and up and around and, and, and Forest. Um, whatever is down south, um, bud leaf a bit. Um, but, yeah, it, that's what forest, uh, what public land did for me. It actually it gave me the opportunity to practice those skills that when I did end up lucking into some ground that I could stalk during the day, I, I, I sort of knew what I was doing and, and I, I've had much greater success. And I, I, I would chalk it all up to public land. Otherwise, I would have been a hopeless bloody spotlighter walking around in the bushes bumping animals all day. So. Oh, mate, still bump them now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that one and a half minute, though, isn't it? Like you said, yeah, look, it, what it are you going to do when that happens? All it right. does. As I said, I, I, got, I was lucky enough to get access to a block pretty close to home. And, you know, smallest block, so game movement is really important. You know, they can literally not be on your block. And I hunted it for three months. I got a really good pig on it very early on, but to get a deer was proving, you know, it was it was tough. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't see the deer. In fact, I always saw deer, but I always saw them on the other side of the wire. 
So when the opportunity came that they were on the right side of the wire and the wind was in the right direction, then that's what happened really when, you know, when the seasons changed and the westerlies came in, all of a sudden that block became a much better block because when they were easterlies, I was just in the wrong position. With the westerly, all of a sudden it was my favourite. So, you know, for three months, you know, I think it was about eight or nine visits down to there's a deer there and here it is and... It's a stag, and he's at, he's at 237 metres, and, you know, he's about disappeared. And so it compresses right down to those those few seconds. And I actually think that's that's kind of, you know, that encapsulates what hunting's all about, that compression of all that activity into something that requires you to make some pretty precise decisions that you can't, re, you know, you can't reverse once, once, you, once you've made them. And I always find that's the most... I don't know if it's rewarding is the right term, but it's certainly the thing that most reminds me of you know, all I think most about when I think about the hunting, that, that compression of all that all that activity into that decision-making process. You can see why buck fever is a thing, right? Well, yes, right, and you can see that. And it, that's right, and, and especially if, you, uh, if you're in a situation where you hunted once a year, you went to deer camp once a year, and, and you know, there's a deer, you can see that someone's going to go, you know, the, the, the adrenaline's going to take over. Well, I think we call that a wrap, fellas. Oh, I know we can probably get into five or six other conversations, but we might save those for a second round, Jace, if you'll uh, come back. Um, yeah, a couple no, of things I'd like that. to cover, but mm. well, I, I would like to ask you to come back and tell us about Nundal as a first timer. I think Same. that's gonna be, yeah. uh, that's gonna be yeah. interesting. <laughs> that will be a good that will be a good story. That'll be a good yeah, one. That'll I, be a great I am. I'll see. I was telling. Um, there's a Ian, Ian harps on as being in his presidential role as he is uh, harps on a lot of people about being safer. Um, and you know, it's always oh yeah this and that. And I actually took the and it's because of the trip I'm going on. I actually took the plunge and uh, bought myself a. a Eperb or a rescue thing or a personal locator, what you want to call it, and it, it seems a helicopter button. Yep. Yeah. Always seems like a bit of a laugh when you buy something. And the attention is for you to never use it, and you think, oh, well, that's you know, I wasted a few hundred dollars. But um, yeah, because and, and by no means have people said that you know, hanging rock and nundle, you know, you get stuck and then you never get out. But because I'm going there and I'm going there by myself, I thought, you know what, I've got a family. I'll pull. I'll, I'll listen. It was. It's only because of Ian. I'll give you props for that, Ian, for convincing me. You know what? Just bite the bullet and do it because there's a couple hundred dollars is, is cheap life insurance down there, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. I've got one. I've got the. It's a little small, little yellow one. Um, I think Ian, you've got the same model, but yeah, mm. it goes with me everywhere. And um, I actually leave it in the car, so because you know, then I know I've got it with me. Um, and it's in. My, it's in the pack. Um, so I think yeah, yeah, you know, it's not hard. I mean, like for instance, on the last weekend we were away, there's a bit of video of me on Facebook. You know, I think it's I say something like I'm not sure if it was the first or the thousandth time that I fell over when we were packing it out. It was just wet, slippery country, and I'm boom over I go again. You know, a fellow deer head tied to the back of the pack. The pack's loaded up for me, and I keep falling over. My mate actually fell over and hurt himself. 
Now he was able to walk out, and he was he was feeling it. That's for sure for the next week. But you know, going from hurting yourself to not being able to get out is not too difficult in that kind of terrain. You know, it's 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 only a matter of degrees. So be able to get the you know to kind of actually get that help is pretty. Uh, it, I can see that you know it'll be a silly thing to have until the day that you need it, and then it'll become the only thing that you want to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the the story isn't that exciting, but it, it'll be oh, exciting well, nonetheless. <laughs> if it happens, make sure to take some video while you're in a helicopter. You know, <laughs> aerial view. We might yeah. see some deer running or something. Oh, there they are. Yeah. <laughs> and just to excite you even more, next weekend uh, highs of seven and five, and lows of minus three and minus two. So you have a good time. Be fresh. Well, look. At, the, at least my uh, my years of living in Stanthorpe hopefully will have me somewhat prepared. So mm. good luck with it. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, mate. That's that's been a really good session, and um, yeah, it'll uh, it'll be good to debrief the next one. And uh, I'd love to, love you to come back and talk about that fellow, but we'll leave that for another day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, I, uh, I I actually get to pick him up in a in a week or two, so yeah, that'll be. Uh, well, that'll don't be good. don't spoil it. We'll we'll keep that yep. for another day because it's a ripper. No worries. Right, anything thanks, else? Thanks. I was just going to say thanks thanks for having me, guys, and um, yeah, it's right, been it good. Can't, it was a pleasure. Can't, can't wait till uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to when when the episodes are sort of public and people can get a hold of them because I think um, yeah, I, I I sort of had a bit of a jab at. Ian, I sent him a message after I heard the Severn one, and I said, "Did you have to do Severn first? That's uh, you, this. I have to call this the Spot Burners podcast, you know." And there's that knee-jerk reaction of "Don't, don't tell anyone that there's, there's stuff down there." But um, I think it's, I think it's really good what you guys are doing. And um, and I'd never hunted the Pilliga. I've always been interested. And, and after listening to your your Pilliga episode, it just it gets the Gets you going, gets the blood pump, and you think I've got to get down there and give it a crack. And and I think um, I think that I think that's what will happen with your podcast, fellas. I think I think you'll just you'll get people to take that step. You know, blokes like my mate Joe that wouldn't take the step by himself. You know, maybe it'll give them that little push to go. You know what? I'm going to go down and have a look. So I think it's fantastic. And thanks again. Well, mate, that very kind words. Appreciate it. That's really nice to hear that. that yeah, that's what you're getting out of it. And in regards to the Pilliga, if that is that's the uh, average Joe Safari, that place. That is that's uh, uh, people who know me know that that place is pretty special, mate. It is it is that is the Safari. That you don't have to pay the ten k ten k to go on Safari. You just got to drive down there, and, and you it's Safari enough. You know <laughs> the smile on his face. You say Pilliga, he lights up like Christmas trees. <laughs> uh, all right, mate, well, welcome to the Club, club Jace. Thanks for joining. <laughs> no, no worries. Thanks, fellas. All right. Thanks. Good one.